She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. to the Don Newton Podcast. I am your host, Don Newton. For all you Elvis Presley fans, this podcast, this podcast is for you. It was in June of 1968, a 33-year-old Elvis Presley started work on an NBC TV special that ended up reinvigorating his fading career. Never a fan of TV, the musician-turned-movie star was reluctant about doing a TV special, but a young Maverick director, Steve Bender, convinced him that if it worked, it would open new doors and give his career a much-needed boost. It was on December 3rd, 1968, that the Elvis 68 comeback special aired and is now one of the most iconic musical television programs of all time, giving the king what he needed most, another shot at musical stardom. Steve Bender joins me today. He's here to talk about his book, Elvis 68 Comeback, the story behind the special. In his book, Steve shares stories of working with the legendary Elvis and explains how the TV special helped revitalize Elvis's career. Steve Bender, what a treat this is. It's an honor and a privilege to speak with you and the story and the book, Elvis. I just have to say, I was, I grew up listening to Elvis. Actually, I grew up listening to my mom with Elvis and the vinyl records playing on the turntable and never could understand the fascination with Elvis. But now that I'm an adult and doing the research and looking at the biographies on Elvis and, and as well as this amazing book you've written, a whole new appreciation for that man. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. We have similar backgrounds, and uh, I didn't appreciate him until I started working with him, uh, to be honest. So uh, here's a guy born in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I didn't know if we'd have anything in common, and we did, you know, obviously we had a lot once we met. Well, and Elvis Presley, I mean, the staying power a timeless. I mean, he just Elvis Marilyn, just the first name tells you everything when you hear that. Yeah. You know, when people name uh, their dogs Elvis or their children or whoever you <laughs> it's Elvis Presley that comes to mind and and oh, they're channeling him. It's just such a phenomenal history and yeah. person. And your book, 68 Comeback, the story behind the special Steve Bender. I mean, this was this was you. You were the one that made this happen. I know there's a lot of collaboration. You're a big part of it, but your story is is really fascinating. Behind the scenes is always uh, fascinating. I, I appreciate it, but I think, you know, it's never one person. It's the team you put around you. And, uh, you know, I obviously got to call the shots as the producer-director, but I had such incredible people working with me. Uh, you know, we had just finished... Uh, shooting, uh, what I wanted to prove was that there is, if, if you use the name special or the moniker special, you have to live up to it. And I felt most people who call their show specials, there's nothing special about them other than they were the typical, you know, variety show that if the star fell out, you could replace them the next day with somebody else. Uh, the ones I tried to do saying that if the first one I did with Leslie Uggams and then Petula Clark and Harry Belafonte and then Elvis 
if any of those stars fell out, that would be the end of it. We wouldn't be able to continue on because it, they were tailor-made to their talent. It's pretty disheartening, but the reality is is how disposable entertainers, actors, singer-songwriters are. Well, the whole world is kind of that way now, don't you think? <laughs> yes, unfortunately it is. <laughs> Reading the book and then just your biography, I didn't realize it was June of 1968. Elvis was 33 and he was looking to his comeback it's like 33 years old is pretty darn young to have to do a comeback but that's exactly where he was because as, as you said and as he appreciated you said your career's in the toilet yeah he was pretty shocked and then you know i blurted it out when he asked me what do you think of my career i, I didn't give it any thought in advance of what i said so it just blurted out which was the truth i i think your career's you know in the toilet he had done 20 movies. Uh, the Colonel Parker had run dry on getting financing from the movie studios. And that's why he turned to NBC, not to do television, but to get NBC to finance Elvis's next movie, which was Change of Habit with Mary Tyler Moore. And, uh, you know, when Elvis found out the deal that the Colonel had made with NBC, he balked. He said, I don't want to do television. So when I was brought in... Uh, by Bob Finkel, the executive producer, who was under contract to NBC, it was because I wasn't just in television. You know, I had a lot, had built up already quite a few credits. And then uh, I partnered with Bones Howe, this very prolific, talented record producer. And we were, as a company, exclusively producing the Fifth Dimension hits and the, fifth, and the Association hits. Uh, and working with Laura Nero, Nero at the time. And uh, so it was really Elvis on our first meeting, uh, you know, when he saw all the gold records on our walls, et cetera, uh, he relaxed and, and said to me that, you know, uh, television is not my turf. And I said, what's your turf? He said, making rock and roll records. And I said, okay, you make rock and roll records and I'll put pictures to them. Uh, how does that sound? He told me much later, those were the, the words that really made him relax and trust me and start trusting me because, you know, it kind of built all the way through pre-production and, and actual production. And uh, our relationship got stronger. And I think his relationship with Colonel Parker uh, sort of dissipated, uh, especially at that time, because uh, I think, you know, the Colonel had kind of instilled in him that uh, it was RCA's uh, and his publicity machines that were making Elvis uh, famous and current, uh, which was a total lie. I mean, it was Elvis's talent that made him famous. And I think uh, my job as a producer-director was to reinstill that confidence in him that it wasn't uh, just because of outside sources and publicity that made him famous, though it did help a lot. Uh, but it was, it was him. And I think he really found himself on that special where he was not only uh, delivering the goods where his peers were acknowledging his, his success and his moniker that he was the king of rock and roll, but he started believing it himself. And uh, you could sure see it pour out of him while he did the improv. I think he forgot he was even doing a television special and having so much fun and enjoying playing with Scotty and DJ again. Uh, that, you know, he just relaxed into it all. And it, it, that improv was 
so honest and true. I didn't give him any direction whatsoever. I didn't give him any rundown of what songs to sing in what order or what stories to tell. That that was pure friends getting together, having fun and jamming. And and uh, from that moment on, you know, I I just felt, you know, he proved uh, not just to you know the world that he was that talented. But he proved to himself, which was more important, that he, he really was, you know, who people were claiming he was, but never saw him deliver it on television. And you mentioned, too, that nemesis, as I call him, Colonel Tom Parker. He wanted Elvis to do something on television, but it, it appears that he was wanting more of a Bing Crosby-type setting, not what this ended up being. He seemed to sabotage, or his intent was to sabotage, all along as, as, as it appeared he was losing control of Elvis and the bond the two of you were forming. Colonel Park was only interested in control. I mean, I was amazed watching successful executives surround him and kowtow to him and, and you know, bow to his, his power, his word. And I was wondering, what's this all about? The guy's a con artist and, and uh, he didn't care about Elvis or Elvis's desire to be creative. He, he told me, the first time I met Colonel Parker, he told me, uh, you know, I never watched Elvis on stage when he was performing live with the Louisiana Hayride and all these concert venues. He said, I just watched all these young girls in the audience screaming their heads off and going nuts while he was on stage, and that's why I wanted to represent him. So it never had anything to do with Elvis's, you know, art and desire to be creative and so forth. It all had to do with the paycheck. At the time, Elvis, I mean, it still blows my mind that at 33 he was having to do a comeback after such success. But the movies, he had ran those dry. Clearly the shine was was dulling for Elvis, which was really unfortunate. But we had the, the British invasion, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. What was Elvis's take on that? Or did he feel he couldn't compete with that? What was... Any discussion around that topic? That was one of the first questions that I asked him. He obvious, obviously was totally aware of, of the English in, invasion. It was really a case where he said, I'm not sure today's audience is going to accept me anymore. You know, I've been away. I've done 20 movies. You know, I've, I've uh, been in Europe in the Army uh, for a couple of years. There's a whole new audience and new world out there, and I'm not sure those young girls are going to be screaming their heads off if I do come back. And I said, well, we'll find out instantly. The great thing about television is the minute you finish uh, and the show is aired uh, nationally, you get instant results. You know, you don't have to wait a, a like movies where sometimes you don't know if you have a, a box office hit or not for, for, you know, literally months. And in this case, you know, I said either you'll be remembered as the guy who is famous in your past successes, but if you're successful, all the doors that are closed to you now will reopen and you can do anything you want to do. And he said, I'll tell you the truth, and this is one of our last meetings together, he said, I'll never do a, a screenplay again that I don't believe in the script and the director. I'll never sing a song again that isn't written by, a, you know, a rock and roll songwriter that I, I like 
what I hear, you know, and he said all these things to me, and I, I said, you know, and unfortunately, I guess I was right, that I don't know if you're strong enough to stand up to the colonel, because Elvis did have this sense of basic loyalty, you know, his, his career did take off under the tutelage of, of Parker and RCA records and so forth, but there comes a time in all of our lives where we have to make decisions, and I think he had well paid back anything and everything that the colonel did for him, and it was time to leave but he just wasn't strong enough. There's so many rumors as to why he wouldn't leave and so forth. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is he ended up just singing in Las Vegas. And uh, that was really unfortunate because I knew what he really wanted to do, but never did. I was reading, too, that Elvis, Elvis almost backed out of it at the last minute. Well, that was the improv session. Uh, he had lived at NBC while we were rehearsing and taping. And he didn't want to make the, the commute of a couple of hours a day to go from Burbank, California, to Beverly Hills. So Priscilla had just given birth three months earlier to Lisa Marie. So she was at the home in Beverly Hills while Elvis lived with us at NBC. And, uh, you know, we'd finish whatever our day's jobs were. He would, uh, you know, he was bored. And so to unwind, he would go into his dressing room. We had a couple of pianos in there. Anybody who was free would follow him in there, including, you know, part of our, our uh, inner staff. And he would jam. And that's when I said, oh, my God, this is better than all the costumes and sets and people and actors and dancers and singers and what have you. Uh, we got to capture this on camera. When I told the colonel I was bringing cameras into the dressing room, typically set over my dead body, and uh, finally I wore the colonel down where he said, okay, I'll let you recreate it on stage with the caveat that I don't have to use it in the special if I don't want to. He was still smarting every day the fact that he didn't get his way and get to do a 20-song Christmas special uh, that he told me he had already made the deal with NBC. That's what Elvis was going to do with no talk or anything. And I didn't want to do that. I wasn't going to do that. And so uh, when I finally got the opportunity to meet Elvis and, and realize, you know, he was dying to, to, to uh, it wasn't called a comeback in those days, but, you know, he was dying to Proved to his fans once again he was that special. It, it was really the perfect moment to reinstill faith in himself because he wasn't sure whether it wasn't based his success on the Colonel and RCA's publicity machine. And my job as a producer director of that special was to get Elvis to believe in himself and, you know, uh, let loose all that, you know, closed down talent that the, the world was waiting for him to display. They'd heard about it, but they never saw it before. And I never saw it yet. I wasn't even an Elvis fan when this whole thing started to evolve. It wasn't until I met Elvis and started working with him that I realized what a great gift it was for me to be involved and do it because he was that charismatic. He was that special and the minute he walked into my offices on the Sunset Strip, I mean, you, you could feel the vibes, you could feel the, the charisma uh, that he exuded anywhere he went. And uh, the, the story of us going out onto Sunset Boulevard to test the audience <laughs> and being ignored, I mean, the truth of the matter, and, and I never discussed it with him, but there were so many characters in Hollywood running around trying to look like him. But I think anybody who saw him in person for real 
didn't realize it was really Elvis. They thought it was just one of those Hollywood characters. He thought that I was, uh, when we first started talking about going on, out onto the boulevard among real traffic, real people walking by and so forth, you know, he'd been fed this, this line that they may attack him and tear his clothes off and things like that. And that's what started the reason we went down on Sunset Boulevard to begin with. And uh, when we came out of that experience where he was trying to get people's attention, they were totally ignoring us, uh, <laughs> that he started to really listen to me and we started to bond and, and uh, you know, it, trust, trust is the most important thing when you're working with any artist. If, if that, that first day on the set when you're doing any show, you know, there's kind of a test between the star and, and the director and whether the star wants to listen and cooperate or they feel they know more than the director does. I've been fortunate in my career. I've had the opportunity to work with so many great stars. The, the experiences have, have just, I feel I've been blessed and, uh, Elvis obviously is the top of the list, and the fact that he was able to come back, he did have that moment after the 68 special. When I went to see him a year later in Las Vegas, he was phenomenal, and he had all the the charisma that he showed when we actually filmed the 68 special, and that's what I wanted to express. Since we did the special, there have probably been a hundred books out promoting or talking about the 68 special, but... Nobody's really was there. There are only three of us that are even alive today who were in that original group of people behind the scenes actually doing this special. A lot gets lost in the translation or misinterpreted, and I just wanted to set the record straight while I was still lucid enough to be able to tell the story <laughs> that this is what really happened. This isn't what somebody heard from somebody else that happened. Is there one thing, Steve, when you were writing the book, bringing back those memories and putting this together, that... There's something about Elvis that maybe we don't understand. The perception has been um, expressed incorrectly that you want people to know. Yeah, I, I don't think he died of drugs. I think he died of boredom. I think after the 68 special, he did do a, a live tour film uh, that was pretty successful. But I think, you know, almost all of his his post-68 special was kind of being under control by Colonel Parker. And because the Colonel loved Las Vegas, he loved the gamble that Elvis ended up spending the rest of his life. Unfortunately, I call him a saloon singer in Las Vegas. And I know it upsets a lot of people, but I think it's the truth. Elvis told me first person the last time we, we had a meeting that he never wanted to sing a song he, he didn't believe in again. He never wanted to do a movie that he didn't approve of the director and liked the script. And he, he gave me all these things he wanted to do. He wanted to go around the world and meet all his fans. And I knew he was there when he told me all those things. But I also told him, I'm not sure you can, you know, you're strong enough to stand up to, to Colonel Parker. Well, Steve Bender, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Where can we find the book in Laura Learn more about you and your story. Everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I think today is the official release uh, of the book, and uh, I think you can find it at you know, the Walmarts and Costcos and Targets and, and even at airports. So uh, I'm very excited because if you want to know the true story of what really happened behind the scenes, this is the book that, that at least from my perspective and my heart, you know, I didn't need to do any research on this book, and there have been hundreds of books that have been out <laughs> since 1968 that, that try to tell the story. 
but were never there and never really knew what really happened. And this book is, for, for anybody who's interested, uh, this book is the honest truth of what did go on behind the scenes. Well, I appreciate this time and this work. It's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. Hey, thanks for listening to the Don Newton Podcast, and a special thank you to Steve Bender for not only sharing his personal stories with Elvis Presley, but for this beautiful book, Elvis 68 Comeback, the story behind the special. It's a behind-the-scenes look at the landmark TV special that relaunched the King's music career. Elvis 68 Comeback can be purchased online or wherever books are sold. And be sure and check out my website, DonNewton.org. The Don Newton Podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton. Come